Hey, my loves. How are you? Where are you? I'm recording this episode in Narm on the beautiful, black, and unceded sovereign lands of the Bunurong and the Wawurong people. Who am I? I am a Karanga woman born and raised in Harare, Zimbabwe, and now I'm living in so-called Melbourne, Australia. So uh, what exactly is this? It's a podcast, a history podcast called Life Seen Through a Sister's Eye. You'll get to experience the world through a black woman's gaze. Which black woman? Well, me. My name is Sister's Eye, as in S-I-S-T-A, Sister Zai, Z-A-I. I curate and produce this podcast. I'm also your host, and every week I'll share stories, interviews, and views. During this first season of Life Seen Through a Sister's Eye podcast, we're looking at one critical question. And that question is, what does it mean to be African in the 21st century? So you're neither African nor black? Well, I bet most of the culture you love and consume is African and black. So listen up. And let's dive in deeper. Welcome to episode three. So this was the hardest episode to write and record. Gosh, I think I wrote this about and recorded it, edited it a hundred times over. Lisa feels that way. I guess it's that um, it's an obligation to be succinct because... I'm trying really, really hard to keep these podcasts to just 15 minutes or under 15 minutes. And at the same time, I've got to build continuity between each episode because after all, I am telling one big story. We're kind of meandering through a lot of tangential stories, related stories. But at the end of it, I really want to have an answer or at least to have considered the question What does it mean to be African in the 21st century? So speaking of meandering and related stories, I'm curious to know how your own storytelling is going. Are you writing along each week? Look, there's no pressure, but it might be fun to uncover things about yourself that you never really knew or considered. And it's pretty cool to think that at the end of this journey that we're traveling together, you will have something to offer future generations, your own journal filled with your own stories. I personally am motivated and driven by the need to tell my own stories to reclaim the power and authority to document my own lived experience because that was taken away from so many people who were colonized our stories were stolen and people wrote about us you know they made us objects of their stories and were never presented as um, three-dimensional nuanced characters you know the kind of character you would come across in a Toni Morrison novel for instance so think of your journal in that way like it's your opportunity to leave behind a really nuanced account um, for future generations because they always look back every generation always looks back and wants to know Um, and sometimes there isn't the time to tell them and sometimes we've forgotten so if we're documenting it on a daily basis as a letter it's such an easy way to write. You don't have to wait to have a biography or a memoir published by some fantastic publishing house out there, which, you know, I'm sure they'd be happy to get their hands on it. 
but you can also think just you know journal every day it's a powerful powerful practice all right so let me share with you some of the letter that i wrote to myself so i'm going to share my response to last week's writing prompt and then i'm going to share my grandfather's story the next part of my grandfather's story which is actually really connected to mine it's a critical part of my own story and why i'm even creating this series okay let's see i just got my journal open here what did i write a uh, letter to myself number two okay Let's see, here we go. Um, Tuesday, the 1st of December, 2020. Letter to myself, number two. What do I have to do to achieve my vision of what it means to be African in the 21st century? Okay, like, (laughs) this is literally what I wrote to myself. I was like, far out. Like, seriously, sisters, I? Can't I just have a vision? Lol. Like, because it was that hard to write. It really was a tough one to write. And then once I got serious with myself, like I went into a space of meditation um, and just sat with my journal, I think, for probably about 30 minutes. And about 15 minutes in, I just started writing. And this is what I wrote. My vision is to reclaim my indigenous imagination and to apply those ancient principles like ma'at and unu to the problems and challenges I encounter um, on a daily basis. So, in other words... I commit to practice radical love as an act of personal freedom and collective liberation from colonial mentality. Now, clearly I know what all that means because I'm in my head 24-7 thinking about these things, taking very seriously like my own decolonization process, you know, because uh, I recognize that uh, there's a value system that we're all infected with that perpetuates colonialism. And so that's a colonial mentality I'm talking about. And um, so these values I'm talking about, Ma'at and Unu, are um, they're values that are embedded within um, African civilizations. Um, and I've been researching them. And so I go on to talk about that. So radical love requires action. It is more than just sentiment. You know, so often people go, oh, I love you. I love you so much. Oh, I feel these wonderful feelings in my belly when I think about you. But for me, love is actually, um, it's actions. It's behavior. It's a verb. It's the things that you do. And it's sometimes it's, you know, being very honest with people and, and telling them the truth, which may not feel nice to them or to you, but it's actually the most loving thing that you can do. So... Radical love requires us to take actions like dismantling systems of oppression, um, which is a huge part of, you know, shifting out of colonial mentality. So to achieve my vision, I commit to meditate on the principles of Ma'at and Onu. So this is an ancient practice. This is part of my ritual in the morning and in the evening. I'm starting to do this more frequently. Um... And it's where I consider the 42 principles of Ma'at and how I've behaved, like, you know, throughout the day and whether I acted in a way that honors harmony and balance in all of my relationships with all mineral, plants, human beings, basically, and with myself. So this commits to a a commitment to the study and to the practice of African philosophies wherever they are available. So 
I'm constantly on the lookout for folks who, um, you know, understand and know these principles. There's a whole heap of folk practicing this in the United States, so I often follow them. Um, but I'm also getting into like Ayurvedic uh, healing practices and modalities because uh, there's a, a huge connection between those and Africa as well. So, yeah, I'm just like a. I, I study African history, but not for intelligence purposes, more for practice and practical and understanding how to apply uh, all of that knowledge to a modern contemporary life as a 21st century African. So this is Sankofa. For example, I know that Ma'at and Unu relate closely to the value of reciprocity. So that's huge for me right now. Reciprocity is huge for me right now. And reciprocity means maintaining balance in our relationships to all beings. So not just being a taker, which is what colonial mentality is all about. It's about being predatory and extracting all, like sucking all the value out of something um, without bothering to put anything back you know, so using people and using things for your own benefit. Um, that's making people objects or making people slaves, for instance, or colonizing land and mining the hell out of it or um, using it, you know, not lying, allowing land to lay fallow and, and regenerate and restore after planting season because you just got to get more money in your bank account. That's colonial mentality. So, um, reciprocity of maintaining balance in our relationships to all beings. This means knowing and adopting ways of being where all manifestations of energy, so human beings, plant beings, mineral beings, the elements are inherently worthy of love and respect, reverence and honor. Where strong communities, by that I mean healthy communities of people and minerals and plant beings, are built on this practice of mutual respect, honor, and reverence. So that's my definition of community. I kind of live in a space where the whole concept of community is really premised on, oh, let's showcase your culture, show us what wonderful foods you eat, and, and, and. But I'm going deeper than that, you know. Um, those foods and those quote-unquote traditional costumes link into very complex and nuanced philosophies of life and understandings of life so i want to understand those even more a lot of that knowledge was erased with colonization but you know an indigenous reclamation is a commitment to to retrieve that knowledge and to practice it daily so in these healthy communities gentleness is a superpower i've actually got a song that i'm working on about that it goes like gentleness my superpower i work it generous like a lioness anyway that's coming <laughs> sneak peeks okay um so gentleness is a superpower and never a weakness where those who choose to practice corruption get ignored and left behind to starve damn sister die <laughs> break it down okay with those who choose to practice corruption get ignored and left behind to starve because the truth is we all need each other collectively strong and some people have to learn this ancient wisdom the hard way so basically nature always takes care of the predator that's an ancient wisdom too you know sometimes just by taking your attention away from people who are not doing the right thing by the collective you starve them of oxygen you starve them of sustenance and they just fizzle 
um yeah it's a very spiritual way of looking at things as well so because love is about maintaining the health of a community over the prosperity of and ease of one person in that community at the cost of everyone else so then I go on to like some of the actions that I took personally on Tuesday the 1st of December 2020 um, in line with that vision and then I conclude by saying to achieve my vision I must and this is where I take responsibility for uh, how I have played into the colonial mentality dynamic um, and this is this is work this is deep work that a lot of you know people who have experienced the trauma of colonization um, and we've all experienced the trauma of colonization but the people who've been on the receiving end of colonization often we are told to give and give and give and we feel bad when we're not constantly giving people everything um, because we're so used to people stealing from us and this is something that I'm learning in a decolonial spiritual healing collective that I'm a part of that's run by a wonderful woman called Dr. Rosales uh, and I will put all the links in the show notes so you can connect with her Instagram it's very powerful work that I'm doing there so I conclude by saying to achieve my vision I must release the prostitute archetype and the martyr sacrificial lamb archetype so that will all be revealed in time so that is my work. That is my work in all of my relationships. So not only do I commit to stop exploiting mineral and plant beings, I also commit to um, relationships that honor and revere what I have to offer and don't just exploit me. Because I've become accustomed to that. That's a trauma that's been passed on. It's a socialization that happens yeah that's deep so that's my letter to myself um i read a lot more of it than i thought i would so i shared i overshared overshared oh dear oh well uh we can't really take ourselves too seriously if we're on a healing journey this is who i am now probably won't be who i am next week <laughs> that's the beauty of the journal we see ourselves growing and growing and changing and transforming so my granddad's story all right so you remember last week there was a poem that I recited for you? Okay. This is the backstory to that poem. And this is what it took for my grandfather to achieve his vision. And um, yeah, all related stories. I never met my grandfather. My grandfather passed away before I was born. He died of a lung condition and I heard that he contracted that chronic illness from working in the mines. It was just the conditions were just so, so bad, um, which is a very common story throughout Southern Africa. It's so common that when I performed that poem in South Africa in 2019 at the um, Orange Free State Arts Festival, the room just exploded with applause because this is something that's still going on today and a lot of the Africans in the room just got it they understood the uh the dilemma that I have found myself in as an artist as somebody who wants to be an artist but also understands the sacrifices that my people had to make just 
to allow me to survive, just to put food on the table, roof over my head, make sure that I have the basics because we were living under very extractive, predatory, um, racist, <laughs> and, it, you know, it operated through racism. All of that operates through racism. Um, that system was intent on killing us off. You know, it kind of just sucked as many men, black men as possible from the hinterlands of Africa and they were just disposable labor. Hundreds of people died and yeah, it's just not, it's just not cool. But that is a decision that my grandfather made. Now look, my family's listening going, hey, why are you telling lies about our granddaddy? <laughs> because I seem to be the only person in my family who thinks that he worked in a gold mine. Everybody else is like, no, no, he didn't work in a gold mine. He actually worked as a chef for a family. So there's two stories in my family about my granddad. This is why we need to keep journals, people. This is why we need to keep journals for the future generation. Anyway, either way, great stories. So how did my grandfather end up being this migrant wage laborer in South Africa and not really living with his family at all, only visiting them once a year at Christmas as his work contract to work permits allowed him to do, right? Well, the story begins around about 1930. My grandparents were already married, as you do traditionally, would have been traditionally at that time. Um, actually, I don't even know if they were married in church too. Interesting, that's a question for people. Um, so they already had three children and my grandfather, it's it. this is what I hear, was working on a farm. I'm assuming it's a plantation that they probably, that was potentially our ancestral land. I don't know. I'm just filling in the blanks here. And he looked at the situation he was in and he was like, oh my gosh, like I can't let my children, my three daughters grow up like this and my future children, you know, grow up to be um, treated so badly and to basically be starving. So he went to his boss and he was like, yo, I've got this vision I want my children to go to the missionary school, but it's going to cost me money. So uh, I need a raise. And for his trouble, he was kicked off the plantation and he was labeled a rabble rouser, right? Because capitalism being a predatory and extractive system makes money by not paying people properly, especially colonial capitalism. All these economies were built on slavery. Let's just call it spade a spade. That's an act of radical love. Um... And so he ends up, so my granddad's like, holy, what happens now? I don't have any farming tools. I can either go work for another plantation owner, puts me in the same position, or I can go to the reservation, which is the only places that he can go to now, you know, under the new, like, colonial government. And he decides to go to the reservation, him and my grandmother probably made this decision together, you know, because there's no way that he would have been or could have, you know, stayed in South Africa for so long and kept the family together and like she was holding it down my grandmother was holding it down you know making sure the kids were disciplined going to school fees were paid you know people were fed like she was holding it down making sure that you know she was planting food um she was able to use his money to buy farming tools and um seed and she was basically a master farmer and she would use that money from the bumper harvest, not just to pay for their tuition, but eventually they amassed enough money to buy a farm. So there was uh, 
the option for black people to actually own their farm. So that's what's happened. That's what's happened in my family is that we were kicked off land and then eventually settled. Now, sadly, I heard, I don't know, I still have to look into this, but I hear that um, those are only 99-year leases, and so now it's up, or it's up very soon. Um, so, yeah, it's, like, sad. But that's what my granddad was able to do, is to give our family a stable base, a place where we could bury our people and come back and have stability and have food and live a good life. And uh, because of all of that, you know, the next generation myself was able to be born and to, to prosper. So he made a huge sacrifice. Like in the end, he ended up dying. And this is where I, I talk about, you know, I really need to release that sacrificial archetype. Because <laughs> we see this coming because we, we're, we've been living under systems of oppression for so long. And my grandfather knew this. I, I don't think he sacrificed himself for capitalism. I think capitalism was willing to sacrifice him. What he did do was to do the most to be a good father you know and a good grandfather and he left an amazing legacy and i am so grateful for him right so he was doing right by his community i believe that he was using principles and values that come out of an african indigenous imagination of what it means to be a responsible member of a collective and so if you if you think back to my poem there's a line where I say, what, this expensively educated law school graduate of a daughter is going to support the family by writing books? This line flies over most people's heads, most people who've been raised in a Western way of thinking and organizing collectively, because they just think, just let her do what she wants to do. She is such a fabulous poet and storyteller. You should just be doing this and like fulfilling your dream and your passion. I'm like, no, visions are collective things, right? because it's about the collective over the individual. Without the collective, the individual cannot survive. And so the choices that the individual make can have a huge impact on a collective. And for a long time, I think I struggled uh, to really embrace my life path because I felt like I was taking away from my family as opposed to adding. But the value system that colonial mentality uh, infects us with is one where we only see value attached to money. You need money to survive, right? So I'm not saying don't pay me. Like, pay me, pay me. What I'm saying is that this, what I'm doing right now, is inherently valuable. And it deserves to be paid too. As much as a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant or somebody else deserves to be paid, the work that I do is of similar value and worth. But colonial mentality puts everything on a hierarchy, right? And so this is where I want to go back to like this, um, this saying that I often have, I often use this black and bougie saying. And a lot of Zimbabweans assume that I'm trying to like pull some sort of classist, um, classist sort of, I don't know, in like I'm feeling myself or something. And like I'm better than everybody else because I come from, you know, I went, I, I went to the best schools and... And, and I did this and I did that. And, you know, <laughs> it's not like that. It's what I'm actually saying is that by participating in a black and bougie lifestyle, you're probably closer to colonial mentality than most people are. And so you're actually perpetuating. You are now in a position to perpetuate the colonial system long after the original slave masters have left the plantation.
right? That's, and that's huge. <laughs> For any person of, of a middle class background to admit that and to go, oh, hang on, I am complicit in colonization is a huge step. Because I think that's what it means to be African in the 21st century and to practice radical love is to recognize how our actions are impacting a collective, the well-being of the broader community. So I'm going to leave it there. And your prompt for this week will be just to reflect on what is liberation? What does liberation feel like in your body? What does liberation smell like? What does liberation look like? Collage, draw, um, write, uh, collect bits and pieces that inspire you and make you uh, help you to define liberation on your own terms because that's that's where we're headed now that's where the storytelling is headed now I feel like these first three episodes have given um, you a great understanding of who I am and what motivates me and my storytelling so now I would love to start featuring some of my guests so uh, I'll leave that as a surprise for next week if you're the kind of person who, who loves the sneak peeks, definitely get onto the Patreon. Uh, I have recorded or pre-recorded interviews with my featured guests. Um, so you can watch them live. They're actually video recordings. And uh, there will also be an Afrofuturistic uh, Storytellers Collective that will be formed uh, through that Patreon community as well. I also like to post my letters in full because I won't always read them all out to you. So there's a lot of benefits that you can get from being a member of the Patreon. And you'll become a part of a community that's doing this deep, deep work. And we can have deeper discussions. Because I certainly love to learn from people as well. I put things out there and I love when people ask me questions. So if you're asking me questions on Instagram, the Instagram is I of the sister, E-Y-E-I of the sister, S-I-S-T-A, I of the sister. That's the handle on Instagram. If you ask me questions on the Instagram handle, I will probably reply, but not as quickly and not as in-depth as I do on Patreon. All right, my loves. I will catch you next week Friday. Thanks for listening. It's been a bit of a long one, but I think it's worth it. <laughs> Bye.